42. So I want to encourage you to turn to Psalm 42 as we finish out our, our summer psalm uh, playlist this morning. So I'll turn to Psalm 42. And, uh, you know, when God created us, uh, he gave us the unique ability to have emotions, didn't he? We all know what it's like to feel happy. We know what it's like to feel sad. We know what it's like to feel angry or afraid. We know what it's like to, to feel excited. But I know one of the emotions that we've all felt at some time or another, maybe some of you are even feeling this morning, is the feeling of being depressed or having a down spirit. Have you felt depressed in recent months? What did you do to pull out of that depression? Or maybe you haven't pulled out of it just yet. I've heard from several educators that when schools closed that uh, just teenagers, the students, there was an increase in depression in students across our country. I know uh, one young student, uh, when she found out that schools were closed, she got on her computer and she typed an email to one of her friends. And, and what she said, I think, really clearly pictures what depression feels like. She said, I feel like a see-through, empty jar with darkness all around me. I miss school. This morning, I want to share with you three actions to help encourage you when you feel depressed. So turn your Bibles to Psalm 42. Um, it says this, As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go to the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God. With glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Please pray with me. Father God, I just really pray for this morning that this message would really encourage our hearts, Lord. We know that you, that you created us with emotions and feelings, and, and sometimes, Lord, we just get down in, in our spirits, but God, may we be encouraged by your word because it is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. Lord, we pray that your spirit would just uh, be glorified in our time together. In your name I pray, Jesus. Amen. So this morning, the first action to help encourage you when you feel depressed is to consider the cause of your depressed spirit. Consider the cause of your depressed spirit. Now, the psalmist shares that he has a depressed spirit. If you see in verse 5, he says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? 
And why are you in turmoil within me? In verse 6, he says, my soul is cast down within me. And verse 11 is a repetition of, of verse 5, and it's probably the reference of a chorus of a song. When we sing songs, we repeat the chorus, and verse 11 is like that repetition, and he says again, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Now, we see two words here that really tell the condition of his spirit. You see, first see the word cast down. And this really means to be bowed down in the sense of to walk in a stooped posture. It's kind of like someone who's walking with their head down and their shoulders down and they're just really down. And you've probably seen someone like walking down the street that way. And that's the idea of being cast down. But there's another word in here and it's the word turmoil. And so as as the psalmist is cast down, it's saying his heart is in turmoil. There's this restlessness in his heart. This turmoil means to cry out and make a loud noise, to be turbulent. And I think we've all had times in our life when we've had that down spirit and and feeling low, but there's just this this rumbling in our hearts, this turmoil in our hearts. Now, to understand why this psalmist is depressed, we have to understand the rich biblical background behind the psalm. This psalm is a masco. If you look at the introductory remarks at the beginning of the psalm, it says it's a masco. And a masco is probably a musical or liturgical term meaning that it was either read or sung in the temple. Now, the author of Psalm 42 wrote to the choir master, a son of Korah. Now, we don't know exactly who the author is of Psalm 42. It could have been, some say, King David himself. It could have been a different son of Korah, but we're not exactly sure. But we just know that the psalmist was inspired by God to write this psalm in a state of feeling down. Now, son of Korah means a distant descendant of Korah. It's not his immediate son because Korah lived several hundred years before that in the time of Moses. At the very earliest, if it was King David, it would be during the time that King David reigned. And that was several hundred years after Moses. Korah was a Levite. Levites were the only tribe in Israel that were given the responsibility to take care of the tabernacle. Now, the tabernacle was the tent of meeting that the Israelites would carry through the desert for 40 years of wandering. And so the Levites were the only ones who could carry it. They were the only ones who could set up the tent and do all the work around the tent for sacrifices. So that's what the Levites did. They also were the only ones that later on when Solomon built the temple were the only ones who could do the work around the temple. So Korah was a Levite. But Korah also led a rebellion against Moses. He didn't like the fact that Moses was in authority. And because of Korah's rebellion, if you read in Numbers, uh, that God opened up the earth and consumed him. Now, Korah's descendants, they continue to remain faithful to the Lord, and they continue to serve God in both the tabernacle and the temple. When David reigned king over Israel, he appointed specifically this clan of Korah to serve as choir leaders. They continued to be musicians at the temple, and his son Solomon uh, built a temple and um, worshipped. God was worshipped for hundreds of years um, after that. In verse 4, we see how the author of this psalm would help lead the people of Israel in a procession to the house of God in Jerusalem at Jewish festivals. If you look at verse 4, he would say this, how I would go with a throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. And I think we can all imagine times when we've been 
just singing to the bottom of our hearts, and we're just enjoying worship, and we know what it's like to be in the, in the presence of God as we worship. And that's what the psalmist is saying. I just remember that time when, when I'm going to the temple, and I'm just enjoying this time. But he says, that's not true today. He says, I'm very far from Jerusalem. As a matter of fact, he's 100, about 120 miles north of Jerusalem. Um, it says in the text of that he's at Mount Hermon and Mount Mazar. Mount Hermon is uh, the largest uh, mountain in Israel, and it's at the source of the Jordan River. And, and look at verse 6. It says he's from the land of Jordan and of Hermon and from Mount Mazar. Mount Mazar is, is a smaller mountain right next to, to Mount Hermon. And he talks about the depth of his depression in verse 7. He says, Deep calls the deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. Now, when I was in seminary, one of my last classes uh, that I was able to go to or go through was a trip to Israel. Who wouldn't want to go to a trip for Israel for their seminary class, right? So in that class, we were able to travel to Mount Hermon. And as I traveled there, I was able to see what the psalmist was talking about. All along the side of Mount Hermon were just streams of water just pouring all down Mount Hermon. And some parts down Mount Hermon were waterfalls. And I can just imagine the psalmist, as he's writing the psalm, he's, he's probably picturing a waterfall. And he's saying, you know what? What I'm feeling is, is like wave after wave of water pouring over me. Like this, this feeling of depression, this downward spirit just feels like this wave of water going over me. Just like it says in verse 7. And I think some of us understand what that feels like when something really gets heavy on our hearts. Sometimes we feel like this wave and wave of, of water or a waterfall pulling over me. And, and Lord, please help me in my situation. Deliver me from this downward spirit. But not only is he in exile, as we see in this, this chapter, but he's being persecuted for his faith in God. We see that in, in verses 3, 9, and 10, because he had publicly made known his love for God and his allegiance to God. We see in verse 3, he says, they say to me all day long, where is your God? And in verse 9, he says, why do I go mourning? Because the oppression of the enemy, as with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me, while they say to me all day long, where is your God? He's tormented both physically, where we see as with deadly wound in my bones, and emotionally, as he's saying, my adversaries taunt me. So we see because of his circumstances of being in exile, far from the temple, and the fact that he's feeling mocked for his faith in God, he shares that he has this depressed spirit about him. Like I shared, there really has been an increase on downward spirits or depressed spirits in recent days because of our current pandemic and many of you have experienced this over the past few months. But even if we weren't in a pandemic, I think we all face times where we feel down or, or depressed in lives. But in order to get to the road of encouragement, you need to consider the cause of your depressed spirit. Now, have you ever woken up one day or one morning and all of a sudden you had this new pain in your body and you just didn't know where it came from and you think, oh, it's just going to go away in a couple days and it doesn't. Well, back in February, I, I was at my house and I was, I was walking and I stepped on something and, and I hurt the bottom of my foot and it, it kind of hurt for a little bit, but then as I kept walking, it was just painful to walk and I thought, you know, it's going to go away after a couple days, right? Well, it didn't go away after a couple days. I, for those who 
knew me and were around here, I was limping around here for a couple weeks, and I was like, I think something more is going on. I needed to consider the cause of the pain in my foot. So I made an appointment with the foot doctor, and I went to the foot doctor, and he, they took x-rays, and they examined my foot, and he discovered what the cause of my pain was. He said uh, he diagnosed me with plantar fasciitis, which some of you may have, and it's just an inflammation of the main ligament through the bottom of your foot up through the heel. And, and once I considered the cause of my pain, I was able to figure out the proper treatment to get better. You know, in the same way, some of us or some of you may feel depressed and, and you're limping along and emotionally in life and you've never taken time to, to understand and consider the cause of your depression. And what could be that cause? Maybe it's sin in your life because sin will bring depression in your life. Now, in Psalm 42, there's nothing in the psalm that says the psalmist has uh, given in to sin or it's because of his own sin. But for you, if, if there's sin in your life and that's the cause of your depression, I want to encourage you to confess your sin to Jesus and repent and turn from your sin and turn back to Jesus. For others of you, the depressed spirit may be because of the sin of others. That's, that's probably what's happening here with the psalmist because of the sin of the nation of Israel. He finds himself exiled far from, from Jerusalem. Or maybe it's just your circumstances that can cause a depressed spirit. Maybe it's health concerns or financial burdens or maybe a relational strain. I want to ask you this morning, are you, are you feeling down and depressed this morning? Take time to consider the cause of your depressed spirit. Take some time alone after church today and get alone with God and say, God, what's going on in my heart? Why am I feeling down? Why am I feeling depressed? Maybe for some of you too, you, you need others in your life to help too. And so maybe you need to find a, a trusted family member or a friend or a church leader and say, hey, can you help me just to consider what the cause is of my depressed spirit? So the first action to help encourage you when you feel depressed is to consider the cause of your depressed spirit. The second action to help encourage you when you feel depressed is to crave after God's presence. Crave after God's presence. We see that in verses 1 and 2. It says, as the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? You see at the end of verse 2, that, that little word before, in Hebrew, that word really means face to face with God. He said, I want to appear face to face with God, to be in the presence of God. He says, like a deer craves after water in times of drought, the author of this psalm craves after God's presence. Water sustains the life of a deer. God's presence sustains the life of our soul. Remember this, that God created you for a relationship with him. And when God created each one of us, God placed inside each one of us a God-sized hole that only he can fulfill and only he can satisfy. But you know what we all do? We're all guilty of this. We try to fill that God-sized hole with our possessions, right? Or maybe with people, or maybe with positions in life. But God is the only one who can fill that hole in our lives. You know, when we were first quarantined and we weren't able to, to come to church, um, we were blessed with online services, and, and, and they were a huge blessing for us to be able to worship God with our families. But when we first were able to start coming back on Sunday nights and then Sunday mornings, I heard from so many of you how you just craved coming together with God's people in corporate worship and how you really 
enjoyed these times together. Now, if you're going to find any encouragement when you feel depressed, you have to crave the presence of God. Now, here's the thing about craving. Craving is really a feeling, isn't it? It's a desire. And the thing is, we go through all kinds of feelings during the day. And if we're honest, we don't always crave the presence of God, do we? We don't always crave being in God's Word. The first thing we wake up in the morning is maybe you just want to sleep in a little more. Or some mornings, some Sunday mornings, maybe you just don't crave the desire to go to church. So how do you get this, this craving? If, if, if the psalmist craves after the presence of God, how do we get that? We, you know, we get lured away by otherworldly things. And let me tell you how the psalmist craves the desire for the presence of God. He went back and he, he thought about the times when he was leading the procession as they were going to the house of God and worship. And he says, man, I just, that was just some great times when I was just singing my heart out to the Lord and experiencing his presence in a time of worship. And for us as believers, I want you to think back on your life. Are there times in your life that you just remember the sweet times of fellowship where you've experienced his presence and you just know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God just showed up in some incredible ways? Early in the July this summer, I got a text from the band teacher at Kalen High School. His name is Aaron Puckett, and he leads Student Impact along with me. It's the campus ministry at Kalen High School. And he said, hey, Mara, I was wondering if you'd be interested in joining me for a prayer walk around the Kalen High School campus. I said, sure, I'd love that. So I met him at the high school, and we, we actually spent a couple hours that first, uh, first time we got together, and we, we prayed around the high school. And I'll tell you, we said, we enjoyed that so much. He said, let's do that next week. And we kept doing it week after week, and that became one of the highlights of my week. What's really cool is, is as we got into August and some of the teachers started coming together, one of the teachers was coming out of his car and he saw us uh, walking and asked what we were doing, and we told him we were praying for the school. And he said, hey, do you mind if I join you? And he said, no, that'd be great. And then so he started joining us, and then now school started. Uh, we said, why don't we just start a, a prayer meeting for faculty at the high school? So on Wednesday mornings at 6.30 at Cayman High School, uh, this past week, now we're up to four people. A fourth person joined us, and I know the others are interested. And it's just cool because it's just a really organic thing that God's doing, that uh, God's doing a, an awesome work at Cayman. And what I love is when I think about the presence of God, I think about those times when I'm just praying with those other faculty at Cayman. Do you have a time like that or times like that when you can think about God's presence in your life? Well, maybe, maybe you can't. But if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, I want to take you to one place that all of us can think about and think back to the presence of God in our lives. I want you to think about the moment that you first gave your life to Jesus as your Savior and Lord. Do you remember that time when you understood that you were helpless and hopeless in your sin and you realized there was absolutely nothing that you could do and that you heard that Jesus came and he died on the cross for your sins and he rose from the dead? And then you surrendered your life to Jesus. And you, do you remember what that feeling was like and, and how that just changed your life? Even the psalmist here refers to God as my salvation in verse 5. He, sa he says at the end of verse 5, 
Now, of course, the psalm was written before Jesus came to the earth, so he didn't know who Jesus was. But the psalmist had confidence that God is going to be a salvation and deliver him from his circumstance. Remember that inexpressible joy that you felt, though, when you came to Christ. I remember what it was like for me. For me, when I was in early high school, we started going to this, this one large church, and we started going to the beginning of my freshman year. We went there all through high school, and for the first three years of high school, I'd go to Sunday school, I'd go to church, but I, I would sit in church, and maybe some of you teenagers feel this way, or maybe some of you adults feel this way, and he's like, I just don't understand what those pastors on stage are so excited about. I just didn't get it. Well, one Sunday, the Sunday before my, a, a summer before my senior year of high school, I was invited by a student to youth group on Wednesday night. Now, because it was a large church, for some reason, I didn't really know about Wednesday night youth group. No one really told me about it. No one invited me. For three years, I was going to this church, and I I didn't get invited to youth group. I said, you know what? It doesn't hurt. I'll show up to youth group, and if I don't like it, I won't show up again. So I went to youth group, and I started uh, making some friends, and uh, I started enjoying going. And it's like, there's something different about these teenagers around me. They really experienced the presence of Jesus in their life, and that's what I wanted. And then God did a work in my heart. You couldn't keep me away from church. Not only I go Wednesday nights, I go Sunday mornings, Sunday school, Sunday worship service. Sunday nights, that's, uh, we, I went to a Baptist church where they had Sunday night service. They did a totally different service and a different sermon, and I was the only one in my family, and I drove to church on Sunday nights. And then on Thursday nights, I found a campus life group in our area, and I went to campus life. So I was going to church four times a week because I just craved to be in the presence of God. You know, I don't know what it's like for you, but do you remember that moment when you first gave your life to Jesus? Now, in a crowd this size, I, there's probably some of you here, someone here, that really has never experienced a life-transforming relationship with Jesus. And maybe you've been a person, you've come to church week after week, month after month, year after year, but you've never truly surrendered your life to Jesus. And I, I don't want you to leave here this morning without first knowing that he wants that relationship with you and that you can have his presence and that relationship in your life. And I want to share with you the best news you could ever hear, and it's the gospel. Gospel means good news. And that's this, that God created you specifically for a relationship with him. And when he created you, he put inside of you a God-sized hole that only he can fill. And God is holy, and he's perfect, and he can't fill that hole unless you have no sin. But the problem is that we all have sin, right? And our sin, it separates us from God And no amount of good works can erase that sin. No matter how hard we try, that's not going to erase the sin in our lives. But 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man, and he came to this earth, and he lived a perfect life, and Jesus went to the cross, and he died on the cross for your sins, and three days later, he rose from the dead. And the Bible is really clear that if if you repent of your sin and you put your trust in Jesus alone, He will forgive you of your sin. He'll wash away all your sin. And he'll fill that God-sized hole in your life. And he'll give you eternal life. And that eternal life, it doesn't start when you die, but it starts today and lasts forever. And I want to encourage you, if you've never, ever surrendered your life to Jesus, and maybe you've heard this before, don't leave today without 
given your life to Jesus. And if you have questions, talk to somebody around you and, and, and they, they'd be happy to answer your questions. I want to ask each of us, so this morning, can you say like the psalmist that you crave after God's presence? So far, we talked about two actions that help encourage you when you feel depressed. Action number one is consider the cause of your depressed spirit. The second action is to crave after God's presence. But we can't end there. The third action, if we're going to um, be able to be encouraged and find help when we have a depressed spirit, is to center your thoughts on God's goodness. Center your thoughts on God's goodness. And this is exactly what the psalmist does. Now, Psalm 42 and 43 are really two psalms that can actually be sung together, um, but they're actually separated in our Bibles. And we can see that because in Psalm 42, verse 5 and verse 11, and Psalm 43, verse 11, it's the exact same words, as if it's the chorus in a song. And what, what the psalmist says here is this. He counsels himself to put his hope in God. You see that at the beginning, he says, hope in God, for I shall again praise him. Now, this is not an uncertain hope where he's hoping for the best, that he just isn't sure if God's going to come through. This is an absolute secure hope that God is going to come through. It's a confident hope in God. And why does he have this hope in God? And even in the psalm, we see four ways that he centers his thoughts on God's goodness and the first way is this. You see, he says, my salvation. You see that in verse 5, right? He says, my salvation. He said, so he, when he's talking about God's salvation, he's realizing that one day God is going to deliver him from his current situation or his current circumstance. But if we look a little bit deeper, what this means, the word salvation, it's really the Hebrew word, Yeshua, and Yeshua is the shortened version of the word Yehoshua. And Yehoshua is the name Joshua in the Bible. And Joshua is the name Jesus, right? And I know we always say we praise the name of Jesus. But do you know what the name Jesus means? It means the Lord saves. You know how awesome and mighty is the name of Jesus. And so think about that. We can put hope in God because of Yeshua, Jesus, the Lord saves. The second reason we see how he, why he puts his hope in God is because we see he understands God's steadfast love. You see in verse 8, it says, By day the Lord commands his steadfast love. Now in Hebrew, love, it's, it's the hesed love of God. And that's his covenant-keeping love. This is not the love that's merely an emotion or a, a feeling but it's a love that involves an action on the behalf of somebody who's in need. It's God's unconditional, loyal love for you and for me and his faithfulness to us, which is not based on whether we're good or bad. He, his love for you is unconditional. In the context of this passage, God is going to show his loving kindness to the psalmist, and he knows us that God is going to deliver him from his enemies and his troubles. But this has to love, this loving kindness of God doesn't just refer to deliverance from enemies, but it refers to redeem, redeeming us from sin 
It's, it's about giving us spiritual life and eternal life. It's about the kindness of God that's abundant and it's great in its extent. It's everlasting and it's altogether good. Now, because of God's steadfast love, he's able to focus his thoughts on God throughout the day. And you know what's really neat? When he lays his head down at night, and have you ever had those nights where you just couldn't sleep because you're just anxious and you're worried and you're just not sure? Well, he's able to go to sleep because he says in, at verse 8 here, he says, at night his song is within me, a prayer to God in my life. He's able to sing a song to God at night because he just focuses on the goodness of God's love in his life. Now, I have three daughters in my life between the ages of 8 to 14, and if any of you have daughters, you probably have experienced this. My daughters love to sing at random times in their house, right? And sometimes you'll just walk past the bedroom and you just hear them just singing songs. And anytime they grab this happy thought, they'll just start belting out a song. And sometimes they'll be walking, you know, around the house and they're just singing songs um, in, in their lives throughout the house. Now, the psalmist, though, as he laid down his head at night, he was able to center his thoughts on God and he was able to sing a song in his heart to the Lord. You know, as believers in Jesus... We can center our thoughts on the goodness of God too, can't we, and sing songs in our hearts when we lay down our heads at night. I love what Romans chapter 8, verses 35 to 39 says. It talks about God's love. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And because of his love, you can sing a song in your heart when you lay your head down at night. Not only does the psalmist talk about God being his salvation and is he focused on the steadfast love of God, but in verse 9, he, he calls God his rock. He says, I say to God, my rock. And when you see the word rock, it means that God's protecting care in his life. It's a symbol of security, that God is our fortress. Now, back in Israel, if you were to take refuge from an enemy that was pursuing you, you would run to the mountains and you would find a bunch of, of rocky places where you could just take refuge because that's where you would find refuge from your enemy. And we see this in the Bible when David, before David's king and Saul is, is still on the throne, David is fleeing King Saul and David flees to the mountain and he finds rocky places where he takes refuge because God is his rock. Not only do we see the psalmist find hope in, in uh, his salvation and, and, and God's love and God being his rock, but also he talks about God being my God. He says that you are my God in verse 6. Now, Psalms is divided into four sections. And in your Bibles, you'll see book 1, book 2, book 3, book 4, book 5. Now, the first book, it goes from chapters 1 to chapter 41, and 
chapter 42, where we're into this morning, begins Psalm, or book number two in Psalms. Now, book one of Psalms focuses more exclusively on the name Yahweh. Yahweh is seen 272 times in, in book one of Psalms, where there's also another name we use for God. It's the name Elohim, and Elohim is only seen 15 times in those f- first 41 chapters of Psalm. When you get to book chapter 2, which goes from chapter uh, 41 of Psalms to, or 42 of Psalms to 72 of Psalms, you see that the emphasis is more on the name Elohim. Elohim is seen 164 times, where Yahweh is seen 30 times. So what is the difference between these names of God, between Yahweh and Elohim? To understand this, you have to just kind of look back at Genesis chapter 1. In Genesis chapter 1, God, the name of God is, is referred exclusively as Elohim. Whereas in Genesis chapter 2, verse 4, when God starts creating man, we see the compound name of God, Yahweh Elohim. Now, Elohim is the general name of God. It's talking about God as creator, that God is transcendent, that he's all-powerful, and he's awesome, and he's majestic. So as he's creating the earth, we're talking about Elohim, God who's all-powerful and almighty. But then when we see the name Yahweh in, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 4, when he starts creating man, it's talking about God as personal, right? That he's, he's creating Adam, he's creating Eve. He wants this intimate relationship with people. And so when you see in your Bibles... And you see, ever see in Psalms, sometimes Lord is all capitals, L-O-R-D, and sometimes you see Lord is a capital L and small O-R-D. When it's all capital L-O-R-D, it's the name Yahweh in Hebrew, the personal God. That's who we worship, the one true God. But when you see, as a side note, L, capital L, small O-R-D, it's the name Adonai, and it, just, and it means master. As a side note, I want to encourage you to take some time and just study the names of God. And as you study the names of God, you'll have a better grasp and understanding for God's goodness in your life. So the psalmist here, when he's talking about my God, right? He's talking about my God, Elohim. He's saying he's all-powerful, he's majestic. Even though I have my, my situation, my depressed spirit, God, you are bigger than that. But I also want you to notice too, the possessive word my, when he says, my salvation, my rock, my God. He says, God, you are mine. I have a relationship with you. A number of years ago, someone asked me this question. They said, what is the first thing that you think about when you think about your dad? Well, I responded this way. I remember a soccer game in my senior year of high school. And it was one of those really cold, late fall days, and it was a cold, miserable, rainy day. Where, where you ever been that day where it's raining out and, and the rain's hitting you and, and the cold goes right to your bones and you just don't want to be outside at all? And I remember I had a soccer game that day. We shouldn't be playing soccer. It was just too cold. And there I was at the soccer game, and I was playing the position I normally play, which was bench warmer because most of the people... <laughs> on the team were better players than I was. And as I was sitting on the bench, I remember looking up in the bleachers, and there was just one person 
in the stands on this day that nobody should be out there. It was cold and miserable and rainy. And it was my dad. And there was my dad who was supporting me and he was cheering me on even if I never, ever got in the game, he did that for me. And I think about that. Isn't that what God is like for us? You know, we go through life and, and you can have a downward or depressed spirit. But you know, God is in the stands and he's cheering you on. He's supporting you. Even if nobody else is, and even if you don't ever get in the game, he's there for you. And that is the goodness of God in our lives, isn't it? So I want you to remember this morning that he, God loves you unconditionally. Whether you play in the game or not, he's your salvation, he's your rock, he's your God. And the next time that you feel depressed, remember these three actions to help encourage you. Consider the cause of your depressed spirit. Crave after God's presence. And then center your thoughts on God's goodness.